At University of Virginia Health System, we're for bringing advanced care closer to home. So we're bringing health knowledge directly to you with UVA Health System Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. What are heart rhythm disorders and what are some of the new exciting treatment advances for heart rhythm disorders? My guest is Dr. Andrew Darby. He's a board certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, and cardiac electrophysiology. Welcome to the show, Dr. Darby. Tell us, what are heart rhythm disorders? Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, Heart rhythm disorders are essentially electrical abnormalities of the heart, which affect the timing of the heart rate and heart rhythm and they can either make the heart beat too quickly or too slowly. Uh, Some are completely benign, but they can cause cause bothersome symptoms, uh, whereas others can um, increase the risk of stroke, and that's primarily a rhythm called atrial fibrillation, which is a very common heart rhythm disorder in adults. Uh, And still other heart arrhythmias can actually be Um, life-threatening. These are the ventricular arrhythmias, which are abnormal rhythms that arise from the lower chambers of the heart. And these arrhythmias include ventricular tachycardia, and ventricular fibrillation. Typically, doctor, treatment for, you know, atrial fibrillation, as you said, is is becoming more common. People go on Coumadin, blunt thinners, all these things. What is after that if those things are not working for them? Tell us about some of the new treatment advances for heart rhythm disorders. Uh, Sure. So um, for atrial fibrillation, uh, there actually are a lot of exciting therapies. For patients who have symptomatic atrial fibrillation, meaning they feel their heart racing, they feel their heart beating irregularly, we have um, medications we can use to try to control the heart rhythm, to try to keep patients in normal rhythm. Um, We also have procedures that we can do uh, called uh, catheter ablation, uh, where we can minimally invasively uh, insert catheters into the heart to identify the areas where the arrhythmia is coming from and basically burn those areas out and and eliminate them to try to uh, maintain a normal rhythm. Um, you, you mentioned Coumadin, which is uh, a blood thinner. One of the main risks with atrial fibrillation is that it can increase the risk of stroke. Um, over the past few years, a number of new medications have been developed uh, as alternatives to Coumadin. Uh, these medications um, are nice in that they don't involve any blood testing, which Coumadin requires. Uh, they tend to, tend to be very reliable in how they work. Uh, they tend to be very effective and, and, and relatively safe. Um, for patients who can't take blood thinners, there are a number of new exciting uh, Alternatives to protect patients from stroke, um, there are procedures that we can do to essentially seal off the part of the heart where clots tend to form. And uh, one of those procedures can be done um, through uh, by inserting catheters into the veins in the leg. Uh, and one of the procedures can be done actually by accessing the space around the heart and actually sealing off the, the place where clots form. Um, so for patients who can't take blood thinners, those, uh, those, those therapies are a nice alternative. Um, for other arrhythmias, uh, such as the ventricular arrhythmias, like ventricular tachycardia. Uh, we have a lot of uh, exciting new therapies to treat those as well. There, there's catheter ablation, just like I mentioned for atrial fibrillation. Uh, there, there's a catheter ablation procedure we can do to treat that, uh, as well as um, implantable defibrillators, which are uh, heart rhythm devices that monitor the heart rhythm and uh, restore a normal heart rhythm uh, should patients develop one of these life-threatening heart arrhythmias. So, Dr. Darby, speak about the subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator. That's a lot to say, but this is a new, exciting treatment. So tell the listeners what that is. Sure. So let me first start by talking about the the, the standard 
defibrillator, which has, has up, up until now has been the only uh, uh, version available. So the, 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 the previously available defibrillators are systems that we call transvenous defibrillators. And what that means is there's not only a, um, a uh, defibrillator unit, which is something that we implant under the skin and the chest, but there's a wire that we place into the, into the heart to monitor the heart rhythm. So standard defibrillators, as, as, um, as we've had available, um, involve inserting one or more wires into the heart. And, and the way we implant these devices is we make an incision in the upper part of the chest. The um, defibrillator uh, device, the actual defibrillator unit, uh, is placed under the skin, and then one or more wires are placed into a vein in the upper part of the chest. And through that vein, we're able to pass these wires into the heart. And, and traditionally, the wires have been the weakest link or the weakest, weakest part of the defibrillator system. So the, the wires are actually secured to the heart muscle, and so they move with each heartbeat. And, and you can imagine if someone has a, an average heart rate of 70 or 80 beats per minute, that's about 100,000 heartbeats in a day, and these devices are supposed to last for years and years and years and de- decades. And, and that's a lot of wear and tear and a lot of stress on these wires over time. And one problem with the, the standard defibrillator is that the wire can sometimes fracture, it can break, um, which can lead to other, other issues for the patient. And so the, the subcutaneous defibrillator has been developed as an alternative to this um, and, and hopefully will be a more durable uh, device. And so th- the biggest differences, I would say, between the subcutaneous device and the defibrillators that we've uh, traditionally had are that the subcutaneous device is, is, as the name implies, completely subcutaneous. It doesn't involve placing anything inside the bloodstream or in- anything inside the heart. Um, the way we implant it is we make an, a small incision on the side of the chest um, for the defibrillator unit to sit in, and then two smaller incision, incisions are made along the left side of the breastbone. And those smaller incisions are what we use to actually implant the, the wire that's attached to the defibrillator. So there is a wire, uh, just like we have with standard defibrillators, but this wire is just subcutaneous. It's just under the skin. That wire essentially is the antenna for the device. That's how the device monitors the heart rhythm. Um, and helps it detect whether the patient's gone into a, a dangerous heart arrhythmia. That is so cool, Dr. Darby. Who's a candidate for this? Um, it's a good question. I, I think anyone being considered for a defibrillator is a potential candidate for a subcutaneous device. I think anyone who has had um, has blood vessel problems where we might have difficulty accessing the heart or placing the standard transvenous leads into the heart, it would be a good candidate for a subcutaneous device. Patients with infectious issues, um, if patients have, have had bloodstream infections or um, have had recurrent bloodstream infections, we, we don't uh, want to implant something in the body that could potentially become infected, so the subcutaneous device is out of the bloodstream, so it's, it's, it's nice in that regard. I think especially for young patients, patients who might have the device for years and years and years, for decades, we think the subcutaneous device is going to be much more durable um, because th- we don't run into the issues with the lead or the wire the antenna uh, fracturing. Um, I, I think one thing that should be emphasized is who might not be a candidate for the subcutaneous device. So one, one limitation of the subcutaneous device is that it cannot function as a pacemaker. So the standard defibrillators that involve the wire going into the heart, like I mentioned, those devices can also be pacemakers. So for patients who have a slow heart rate who also require cardiac pacing, meaning they require some uh, assistance through the device to maintain a normal heart rate, to, to speed their heart rate up, uh, that can't be done with a subcutaneous device. So, so patients who require 
both a defibrillator, which would protect them from life-threatening arrhythmias, and patients who require a pacemaker, patients who require both, uh, would be better served by the standard defibrillator. Patients who don't require any, any pacing assistance w- would be perfectly fine with a subcutaneous device. Dr. Darby, in just the last minute, please, why should patients come to UVA for heart rhythm diagnosis and treatment? Uh, very good question. I, I think every patient should come to UVA, <laughs> but I'm biased. Um, I, I think we have uh, uh, very well-trained, uh, highly experienced staff, both as far as physicians as well as our, our, our non-physician staff who support us in these procedures. Uh, the University of Virginia was actually the first hospital in the state of Virginia to have an electrophysiologist about 30 years ago, uh, Dr. John DeMarco. And we have um, grown and grown and grown our program over the past few decades, and we have the most experience of any program in the state. We've done thousands and thousands and thousands of catheter ablation procedures and device implants, and I think that experience matters. Um, And another another nice thing about being at a university um, academic medical center is that we often have exposure and are are given access to these new technologies sooner than other hospitals are, and so we'll be the first hospital in central Virginia to be implanting the subcutaneous defibrillator. Um, And we'll all have access and, and do have access to other ablation technologies and other device technologies that other hospitals don't have. And so I think for those reasons, the experience um, and, and the, the access to new, better technologies, uh, I think those are the, some of the big reasons to, to come to the University of Virginia. Thank you so much. That's great information. You're listening to UVA Health System Radio. For more information, you can go to uvahealth.com. That's uvahealth.com. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks for listening.